The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to a new episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Friday, March 18th, as we bring you a new show, and hopefully you had a wonderful St. Patrick's Day. The Chicago White Sox are now playing spring training games, and there were good signs early from the young group of players who participated in the split squad action against the Chicago Cubs, a welcome distraction from the constant overthinking or worrying of what will Rick Hahn do with the roster. Are the White Sox done adding? Is a big move coming? Well, we know some of the other elite Major League Baseball teams have made big moves. So where do we think the White Sox stack within the American League and all of Major League Baseball? We'll discuss later in the show. Joining me now is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. Some sad news yesterday. Chicago White Sox third baseman Pete Ward passed away at the age of 84 years old. Ward played seven years with the White Sox in the 1960s. And you brought this up on Twitter Uh, But he's in the category of what if White Sox careers, especially for third basemen. Yeah, it was odd. I was thinking of Pete Ward uh, the other day when there was that news of Pete Alonzo getting in that car accident. I don't know if you saw that that news where Mm -hmm. apparently he got uh, a driver ran a red light, uh, hit him, I think T-boned him and he went to roll over like three or three times and had to kick his way out of the. Uh, car through the windshield and he said that he was fine and he was lucky to be alive but ultimately like you know he was surprised that he, you know i guess just the you know engineering of i think he's, he was driving a ford or something but he just said like you know fortunately like you know just uh the 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 car's engineering kept him alive mm, and yeah, i did i was thinking about pete ward because he suffered a he was in a car accident got rear-ended just after spring training in 1965 got whiplash and he played kind of diminishing returns over the course of 1965 season due to neck issues. And then that uh, cascaded into back issues and he never really was the same. And he was somebody who, uh, you know, he was close to winning the rookie of the year. I think Gary Peters beat him out in uh, his own teammate, beat him out in uh, yeah 63. Uh, and then 1964, you know, hit 23 homers, which was really impressive for Comiskey Park in the sixties. 
And, you know, for that era of White Sox teams that was so pitching heavy, they really could have used the guy that they thought they had, you know, before the the, the car accident. And uh, it's been part of a string of really tough injuries uh, suffered by White Sox third baseman specifically, like basically ever since Buck Weaver, you know, bowed out of baseball for reasons we will not discuss. It, it's been a really rough road. Like, you know, after Pete Ward, Bill Melton came up and uh, just when he thought that he was going to have some home run dominance for a little bit, he fell off a ladder, hurt his back. He wasn't the same. Mm-hmm. He had Robin Ventura snapping his leg on home plate in, in a really gruesome injury. And they he still wasn't that. quite the same. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, Joe Creedy, you know, no specific trauma, but just the wear and tear of third base led to uh, disc issues in his back. And then you have, uh, you know, Yohan Makata, depending on, you know, what his career looks like. You know, hopefully this year is the year he puts the COVID talk behind him. But that's another very, you know, specific case to third baseman that could only happen in the specific era he's playing. And then, you know, even, you know, looking down to Jake Berger uh, with the double ruptured Achilles and, and you know, watching him play today and seeing him run down the first baseline at Camelback Ranch still brings to mind uh, just the way he did not complete that trip down the first baseline and ultimately set off three tough years for him. So, yeah, just third base for whatever reason has been a cursed position and, and Ward's one of those stories where just the, he never got a chance to basically what he did through 63 and 64 his first two years were, were great. You're talking about a six win season. You know, they didn't talk about uh, seasons in terms of wins above replacement, but given how tough Comiskey Park was to hit in the sixties, you really have to take those contextual numbers to get an idea of just how good he was. And unfortunately, uh, you know, because of that car accident and then everything that happened after just never could, sustain that you know he was like a 280 290 hitter um and then after you know the car accident you hit below uh, 250 the rest of the way and just the rest of his numbers sagged along with it and all those white Sox teams they had great pitching but they needed every bat they could get and unfortunately just wards was not available yeah pete wards 6.3 war season according to baseball reference in 1964 is still one of the best single season wins above replacement for white Sox third baseman in franchise history and just a bit of sad news, because when I was speaking to Roy, my future father-in-law, the 1959 White Sox were his first team growing up. And he remembers vividly the 60s White Sox and going into the 70s White Sox teams. And I know Pete Ward is also very popular in the sporical quizzes that Ted Mulvey makes on Sox Machine every Saturday morning. Uh, and it's just the sad news that Pete Ward passed away at the age of 84 Yesterday on St. Patrick's Day, March 17th, 2022. The Chicago White Sox were in action yesterday as well. Split action, split squad action against the Chicago Cubs. So one squad went to the Cubs spring training home and the other stayed in Camelback Ranch. Jim was lucky enough to watch one broadcast because I do not have the marquee channel. Uh, So I was watching the NBC Sports Chicago broadcast Uh, So, Jim, I'll start with you as far as the spring training action. The White Sox won both games. Uh, They won one game 5-2. That's the game that I watched on NBC Sports Chicago. And the game at the Chicago Cubs spring training facility, the White Sox won 4-3. So what were some of your first impressions of watching the first spring training game? Well, I was flipping back and forth between the two games based on, you know, when the lineups were coming around, who was in it, who was coming up. And I think it's probably at this point more instructive to watch uh, 
hitters than pitchers because the pitchers they were rolling out were mostly um, either guys getting work in or guys who are NRIs, not expected to factor into big plans. So uh, nothing really to be gained. So basically, I just want to see the the prospects because you know, one of the unfortunate things with the short and spring training is that, you know, it's less time for these guys to get some reps, you know, with coaches watching them against, you know, pitchers of varying quality. So you like to see them notch something because I always feel bad for the guys who are coming up from, you know, high A or double A trying to make their first impression and they go like 0 for 8 with six strikeouts. And then they have to start, you know, they, they get, they're among the first cuts and then they have to, uh, you know, try to rebuild it in, in, in Birmingham or Winston-Salem or whatever. So I like seeing at least something to take back with them even if it just might be more yeah i don't know if i'm making that up i don't know if players care about that that much perhaps uh you know if, if i go to a birmingham or something i'll have to ask somebody that like how much do those at bats count um something i always wondered and i always forget to ask that <laughs> uh, i would just think that you'd like to have like a little bit of a victory so along those lines i, I thought it was a great day for that you had a uh, mike adolfo homering you had uh in a really good at bats you had brian ramos homering you had yolki cespedes homering you just had uh, you know, even zach remillard who's really uh yeah i like him because he's an upstate uh, he's a capital region a uh, new york guy uh from cohoes hmm. uh, new york so i've always been a fan of him just uh, i always like mentioning him uh he uh he's been around the high minors because he can play basically any position and so white Sox like having him around and so it's cool to see him hit a homer uh just while they get these bats because they may only have like you know three or four games to to fill these innings before the regulars have to take over. So it was cool to see the the action like that. Oscar Colas, uh, you know, struck out a couple times, but in the at-bat where he uh, it was situational and, and you know, had something to gain from even and out, he hit a nice sacrifice fly, a good contact to left center. So that was nice to see. And I was thinking, like, he faced Kyle Hendricks, which might be a tough task for most hitters, uh, you know, making their first uh, official organized action in a couple of years. But then I was thinking like, well, if Hendricks is mainly just like working on fastballs and he tops out 88, he might not be too different from the guys he saw in Japan. True. In like the NPB minor league. So this might be like a nice little introduction before facing the guys throwing, you know, 96, 97. And even if they may not have a great idea, you know, where it's going, I still think it is a nice introduction for him. And he hit a sack fly. So uh, a lot of nice victories all around, I think, for that level of player who... Don't, they don't need to have great spring trainings in order to, uh, you know, get their season started on the right foot. I think their seasons are more about April and May than anything they're doing right now. It's just more a matter of like, mm-hmm. well, we can watch them while everybody can watch them while the major league coaches can file things away for guys they might like to see in case of an emergency. Uh, a number of players kind of notched those little victories. Yeah, Liam Hendricks was the only pitcher who appeared in either of the games that we're going to see part of the White Sox 26-man roster or 28-man roster, depending if Major League Baseball does approve roster expansion to start the season. Hendricks went one inning, allowed just one hit. It was scoreless, didn't strike out anyone, did not walk anyone. Andrew Vaughn also hit a home run, and I did see that home run. And when you watch the highlight of the home run, when I was watching it live, Jim, mm-hmm. I thought he flew out. Yeah. Because with his reaction, if you watch him, he makes contact, and then, then he does a Canerco Eeyore type of thing. Yeah, a little bit of a shoulder yeah, slump. a little shoulder slump. A little bit of a, you know, not, not a total hangdog, but just a little bit of a... Yeah, uh, I, I just missed it. Yes. And I don't know what the wind was doing in Glendale, but that ball continued to carry uh, for Vaughn, and he hit a home run. And the two plays I saw him make in right field 
were hit directly at him, but he caught him. So Mm -hmm. progress, you know, there we go. Get a little first taste of Andrew Vaughn in right field. And I'm curious to just know moving forward, especially in these few games that's coming up on the schedule the next week, how much time we're going to see Vaughn in right field because spring training, the results don't matter. Mm-hmm. Right. Because there's really nothing to take away. We've been doing this for nine seasons. I always hope that we can get something out of spring training numbers to suggest who's going to break out or who we should be worried about. It, it really never ends up being the case. Kind of walks and strikeouts. That's a good example. Yeah. That's, that's something to point out. But with Vaughn, I'm just wondering how much playing time Rick Hahn and Tony LaRusso need to see in this next week, him moving around in right field in game action Mm -hmm. to sell themselves if this is what they're going to roll in for opening day in right field. Yeah, I mean, I just don't know how much, you know, like a week's worth of game should inform decisions, you know, during the game, Chuck Garfine had a report talking about that he talked to Andrew Vaughn and said that, you know, what was the biggest takeaway from his rookie season? He said, like, just the grind of six months in, in, in August and September, he's starting to feel it like he was, his back was tightening up on him and he just uh, was wearing down at the end. And he learned about the grind. And that uh, kind of drives me nuts just because, you know, we've seen Carson Fulmer. Uh, struggle uh, with never having learned uh, a routine over six months. Uh, we saw Carlos Erdan just kind of grunt his way through seasons on talent and just the di- you know, dynamite slider he had, but he never developed a routine. Like he had to figure that out, like how to prepare over an off season, how to prepare for, you know, five, six months, 130 plus innings and his body, you know, betraying him a bunch of times along the way. So I think, you know, I didn't like seeing him break camp last year with the White Sox. I didn't like seeing him break camp by default. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I wanted to see him blocked to open the year, and if he forced his way up, so be it. And and this is one of the reasons why is because just I think there is value in having one season in the minors, just to, especially for a guy like Vaughn in college, who you play like you know how many games do they play in college like fifty four games yeah, a week, like fifty to sixty, depending on how good your program is and how deep you go into the postseason. And it's like four or five games a week. Yeah, you play Friday, Saturday, it's Sunday, and then you have like a midweek series, Tuesday, Wednesday. So yeah, it could be five games a week. Yeah. So, but basically it's, you know, yeah, for you know, only a couple months uh, yeah, and who knows, depending on what weather they get to, like, you know, whether their schedule is condensed, but uh, you know, when you have the career that he had and then that he never had a full season in the minors, then he had the uh, interrupted alternate training site season. And who knows what that actually benefited the White Sox. <laughs> like, uh, I think that's more along the lines of just, you know, getting by. And, and we, when I talked to Keith Law, he said like, yeah, just there's no real consensus about how the alternate training site affected players or, or, you know, whether it benefited anybody or, uh, you know, whether it's, there's anything to take away from it. And so when you have Vaughn starting a season in the minors and having, or in the majors rather, and having nobody, to back him up or bail him out and needing him basically to tread water the whole season like that, that gains something in terms of exposure to major league pitching, but in terms of habits and uh, the position to succeed, I'm not sure if it does. So, you know, I, I think you, maybe if you're optimistic, you say that, you know, Vaughn learned the hard way, but he learned and he's ultimately his plate discipline is enough to capitalize on that learning experience and you know, have a, a great 2022 
uh, if you're pessimistic, you can say that he's just still scrambling and, and it'll take him years to figure out, you know, or basically it'll take him maybe a, an extra year to figure out just how to survive a six month season. And we've seen it both ways, you know, really just, I think the biggest instruction is on, you know, the most informative examples are on the, the pitching side, but even like Nick Madrigal got a full year. Mm-hmm. And when he came up to the majors, he was fine offensively. Like, like the, his problems were speed of game defensively. But at the plate, he looked like as advertised. And he looked like he knew what he was doing, what he wanted to do at the plate. And next year, he's even better. He just had a couple injuries that got in the way. But, you know, he looked like somebody at least who was prepared uh, from, you know, from the get-go, from his very first day. And I, I have to imagine that just having a full season, matriculating up the minors, letting his talent dictate just where he's playing, uh, helped a bit. Oh, absolutely, because Madrigal had somewhat of a normal player development curve. (laughs) Andrew Vaughn, you know, the thing that's kind of grinding my gears, Jim, and I want to toss in your way and how you feel, but every time I hear Rick Hahn, when he's speaking about Andrew Vaughn, say that we had no other choice but to throw him out to left field after Loy got hurt, Mm -hmm. I think is complete false. I think it's a little bit revisionist because that's not true. You, as you mentioned, you could have blocked him. Nelson Cruz was available as a DH. Kyle Schwarber. Yeah. Kyle Schwarber was available and you didn't go pursue them. Instead, we see Billy Hamilton added to the roster later and Billy had his moments. And then eventually they added Brian Goodwin after, you know, the Pittsburgh pirates weren't using Brian Goodwin. And then we saw Goodwin have his moments with the White Sox as well. But you as the general manager had opportunities to prevent this type of situation from happening. You just rolled with it because you couldn't think of a better plan. Uh, and some of that thinking may be happening now uh, with the Chicago White Sox. Mm-hmm. We'll get, that, get into that for a moment. But there is the whole Gordon Beckham aspect, right? You got to be careful that you don't break this highly touted first rounder because you broke Carson Fulmer, you broke Gordon Beckham and they never recovered. And, you know, it does bring up, I'm trying to be optimistic about Andrew Vaughn. I think Andrew Vaughn's going to have a very good 2022 season for the White Sox, but we have to cover all bases using, you know, the baseball metaphor or baseball terminology and ask the question, what if Vaughn struggles out of the gate? What if he's hitting 220 and it's June 1st and he's got an OPS hovering around 700? Are, are we going to have the conversation of who can the White Sox trade for in right field? Because your first round pick, the guy who's supposed to take the reins from Jose Abreu at first base, is struggling in the corner outfield spot and your World Series are bust. Yeah, it's not even so much about like being Vaughn specific. It's just more of a matter of like, you know, my, my, you know, like you say, ball and error. I say more bats than spots. Like, like the, yeah. uh, you know, pithy saying I repeat over and over again. Like, uh, it drives me nuts when you see White Sox fans saying, well, you can't sign a Michael Conforto because what about Oscar Colas? And like, if Oscar Colas demands a spot, that's an awesome problem. <laughs> yeah. Three cheers for the White Sox. If we're worried about like how Klaus can get involved because he's shown everything he needs to show in the minor leagues. And like, it's, you know, that's not a problem. That's a goal that that's what you want is to have like these, these, uh, 
uh, who do we choose here? Because, you know, some guy needs the, the, the priority lane and there are just so many options. Uh, you know, you look at what the Dodgers are doing and how like Gavin Lux just keeps getting buried over and over again because mm-hmm. he, you know, he doesn't ace his audition. And so like, you know, the, the Dodgers, you know, they almost punish him for it, but I don't think they're, they're punishing Gavin Lux. They just have the resources to add. But I mean, like they act like, nope, Gavin Lux, you have to be good. This is, these are Dodger standards. You know, if you can't hit the ground running or hit the ground hitting, uh, you're not going to be able to keep up, even if you would have a much for, more forgiving curve somewhere else so that's why i you know it it, you know, it it drives me nuts when i see like white Sox fans saying well if if you have nine guys if you have 10 guys what about that extra guy and the extra guy is great like if andrew vaughn had to start the year in charlotte that might be like a little bit of wasted development but it also might just help him you know do the last remaining things he needs to do in order just to get his body right for a year and great uh, or Gavin Sheets, same thing. And, and you know, I, I blame fans less though after hearing Rick Hahn basically saying the same thing, like, well, we have, you know, Andrew Vaughn and Gavin Sheets, so we don't need anybody else, even though if one of them gets hurt, we're in the same position we were last year, where we just have to kind of scramble. And mm-hmm. uh I I'd like to think like or, or I'd like to simulate, you know, just run kind of alternate realities where like your mean Mercedes doesn't have the April he has and buys the White Sox a month, a month and a week, a month and two weeks of just, uh, you know, basically perfect DH production uh, while Vaughn's trying to get acclimated and, and they're, they're dealing with the post-Jimenez uh, injury realities. Like that, that hot streak that uh, Mercedes had was perfectly timed. And, and then you had the sequence of guys afterwards, Jake Lamb, Brian Goodwin, Jake Berger, Gavin Sheets, Gavin Sheets again, Adam Engel's random hot streak, just that managed to patch that gap over and over again. But because Mercedes bought him the first six weeks, like that's what allowed that, you know, all those other tumblers to click into place. And if Mercedes doesn't do that, I think the AL Central is probably a lot tighter, I think, than it was last year. So it's when, when they're only running with nine bats and they don't really have an option if Jimenez gets hurt again in a random freak way that sometimes he stumbles into, then they're in the same position. And we're, you know, and we're hoping, you know, you know, that scene in Tommy boy where, uh, you know, Chris Farley is talking about like how he's, uh, you know, got the sale and he's pets it and he pets it and pets it and snaps his neck. And just like, (laughs) that's what it's like whenever the white Sox get somebody who can produce, it's just like, they just, you know, they, they don't try to cushion it. They don't try to ask too much. They just, you know, they, they have to try to force it to be an everyday player immediately and be like a three win player. And it always ends up crumbling on them, or at least, you know, historically ends up crumbling on them and they have no backup plan. They have no cushion, other way to go, uh, other resort. And yeah, that's, that's what makes me nervous about, you know, Hans rhetoric here is that just that, that runs in the same problem where one key injury and, we're having we're having this conversation of just like who who's on this who's on the scrap heap who uh, somebody hit the waiver wire he can improve the situation like just that that tiresome conversation that we've spent uh, you know five six years having uh, happens all over again whereas if they sign uh, Michael Conforto even if Conforto like that's the thing like even if Conforto is disappointing or like hits twenty homers but is ultimately like an average player or gets hurt like. You blame Conforto. You don't blame Han. You don't say like that's a failure in evaluation. Like that's a chance that you know, he had to take based on where they were in their cycle and didn't work out. Oh well. But at least like the, he's he's proactively attempting to solve the problem rather than just counting on nine guys 
being the same nine guys over the course of 162 games over one fewer week. Well, the White Sox are not getting hurt this year, Jim. Didn't you get that? No injuries. Basically stay healthy. They're going to they're gonna stay healthy all year. <laughs> no one's getting hurt. Basically stay healthy. <laughs> the White Sox way. Uh, I love uh, how our friend B-Flow from the 108 <laughs> posts that meme all the time with Getty Williams. White Sox way. Basically stay healthy. <laughs> So Goldie Simmons, we're counting on you. Yeah, you can do it. We believe in you. Keep these guys healthy. Well, we're two spring training games in uh, the first day of spring training is over and the White Sox will continue to play spring training games. And we'll see the starters more and more frequently as Tony La Russa wants each of the starting pitchers to have three appearances before opening day. Just be aware of the ramp up. For opening day, I would not have heavy expectations that any of the starting pitchers, at least the first start of the season, are going to go more than 70 or 80 pitches in that appearance. And hopefully that takes them at least through five innings before we get to see the Super Bullpen in action. It's going to be it's going to be very similar to 2020 with the ramp up uh, as we have a, a shorter spring training here getting ready for the 2022 season. But we'll talk more about those games in future episodes of the Sox Machine Podcast. But Jim and I are going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. But we're going to continue the conversation of pending moves for the White Sox and especially where they stack up now after some big, big signings. Freddie Freeman to the Los Angeles Dodgers, for his example, next on the Sox Machine Podcast. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. So earlier this week at night, because this is how news is breaking for Major League Baseball these days, Freddie Freeman finally finds a new home after the Atlanta Braves traded for Matt Olson, the excellent first baseman for the Oakland Athletics, and signed Matt Olson to an eight-year contract. Freddie Freeman decides that he is also going to go home as he's from Southern California 
And he signs with the Los Angeles Dodgers for a six-year contract. And now the Dodgers lineup looks like the National League All-Star lineup. A.J. Pollock is going to be batting ninth for the Los Angeles Dodgers. And as Jim mentioned earlier, Gavin Lux now is a bench player as Max Muncie is going to move over from first base to second base. And the Dodgers may not be done yet. And when you go to Fangraphs.com and you look at the depth chart projections and you look at teams win above replacement, which team has the projected highest war collectively of all positions, starting pitching, bullpen, and the position players? Lo and behold, it's the Dodgers, number one. Right now, they have a projected team war total of 54 wins above replacement. The Yankees, as they made a big trade with the Minnesota Twins getting Josh Donaldson, are right there. The Houston Astros, we're still waiting for them to decide on Carlos Correa, or are they going to pivot because of Price and add Trevor Story and have Trevor Story be their shortstop moving on from Carlos Correa? They got the third highest projected war total for Major League Baseball at 47.4, and slightly below the Astros are the White Sox and the Toronto Blue Jays. And the Toronto Blue Jays continue to make big moves this offseason as they traded for Matt Chapman, to be their third baseman. The good news is, is that the White Sox, based on projected war team total, according to fan graphs, are a top five team in Major League Baseball. But do we really feel that way? And how do we stack the White Sox currently compared to the other teams in the American League and Major League Baseball? So let's have this conversation, Jim, because again, based on the numbers and the projection totals from fan graphs, the Chicago White Sox are a top five team in Major League Baseball, but when you look at the top five teams in the Major League Baseball based on projected war team totals, four of them are in the American League. So where do you stack the White Sox currently right now with their roster and their projected 28-man roster in the top five of American League teams? Well, you know, you basically I try to just, you know, name the ones that I feel are certain. And I think like the Based on what we saw last year with the Astros, especially if they somehow you know re- come to an agreement with Carlos Correa, uh, which has been rumored that they could be reuniting, then uh, I would put them ahead of the White Sox. I would put, based on just uh, what they do year in year, how to put the Rays ahead of the White Sox, just because they've earned that. I think just their 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 sheer excellence. And then I think like the those are the two teams I feel sure about the AL East is so tough because they're just going to be beating the crap out of each other. <laughs> like I think that's a tough thing about like trying to project where they end up is like that division is just brutal. Like the Red Sox are a good team. Uh, but with losing Chris sale, I didn't see like the time that he's lost me. He's going to start the season on the injured list due to a stress fracture in his rib. And you know, Every little bit hurts, I think, when you're talking about this division because you look at what the 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 Blue Jays are doing. I think they're getting 260 homers out of their projected nine-man lineup now with Matt Chapman uh, taking over third base. Uh, not even talking about bench players. They're getting nearly uh, or over 250 homers yeah. from nine players, which is nuts. Uh, you know, that's remarkable. So I think, like, the White Sox are basically, I would say, in that second tier with the Blue Jays, with the Yankees, who I think have flaws, and uh, I'd maybe put the Red Sox a notch below. The, the tough thing is that I, I think when we're looking at the White Sox and discussing them, is we know that you know, we're aware of what happens, what lurks behind the nine-man lineup. Nine-man lineup's fine. Like If we could feel like Josh Harrison was going to be batting ninth the whole year, 
Josh Harrison would be fine. I don't think people would be complaining about, you know, him and Larry Garcia splitting time at second base for the entire year. But just, you know, the, the concern with the White Sox is what if Tim Anderson gets hurt for a month or like he's, you know, he's had the one uh, stint on the injured list each year that, that cost him some time. Like, what do they do at the top of the order if he's not there? Or what do they do in the outfield if Adam Engel doesn't stay healthy and Andrew Vaughn continues to just be meh and Gavin Sheets gets adjusted to and Menes gets hurt? Like, all these realistic scenarios for players that might not hit their ceilings, there really isn't a backup plan right now. So I think we're uh, inherently aware of that. And uh, I guess the good news is we had these discussions last year. Like, what happens when the depth has to be relied upon and the White Sox had to rely upon some depth, at least uh, position player wise, and it didn't kill them. So maybe that's, uh, you know, one reason for optimism is that we're staring at this and we've been staring at it for months with no activity because of the lockout and just getting really, really, really familiar with the weaknesses. Uh, I would say my concern is less about position players and more about they had really good pitching health last year. And uh, they, you know, they got basically everything they wanted out of everybody except for Dallas Keuchel. And Keuchel is fine. Like, I mean, like, he's not what you want for the investment they made, but he helped turn the rotation over. He crosses days off the calendar. I think there's a use for that uh, for starters as as long as you have, like, Lance Lynn and Lucas Giolito and Carlos Rodon being a Cy Young finisher above you. Like, that's, you know, Keuchel served a purpose. But if Keuchel continues to decline and, and you know, Lance Lynn keeps getting banged up and there's any health regression from the other guys, like, that's where it gets trickier. So I think... That's where I'm looking at this team and saying like, well, that that next wave of talent in the minor leagues is not quite ready yet. Uh, And they're going to have to scramble again. But perhaps the schedule and the condensed nature of the 162 games and all the double headers and everything like that might be the great equalizer in all this. That might make every team feel squirrely about where they are when it comes to depth, especially in terms of arms. That is very true. I think even from now all the way through July, Pitching, 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 and more pitching. That is what teams are going to be focusing on when it comes to the trade market. And while we are looking ahead to the next move by the White Sox, as I think there's some debate that their roster is not finalized before opening day. And opening day is going to quickly be here for the Chicago White Sox. But when you see Freddie Freeman sign with the Los Angeles Dodgers, Jim, I'm I'm diving deep into these team war projections. The Dodgers obviously have the number one projected offense coming to 2022 mm-hmm. at a offensive war value of 36 wins above replacement. Second is the New York Yankees at 32. So there's a pretty sizable gap between first and second. The White Sox are eighth at a 26.9 projected wins above replacement for their hitters. The White Sox are third in baseball when it comes to pitchers. So on the pitching front, they they appear to be in strong shape as far as projected value goes. They're only behind the Yankees and the Brewers on the pitching front. And then the New York Mets are right behind the White Sox there on the pitching side as they are fourth overall with the war projected totals. But it just does make it makes me wonder because we're not done yet. Like if Carlos Correa, who's a five war shortstop, signs with the Astros, well then yeah, the mm-hmm. team that whooped the White Sox in the postseason last year 
they're definitely ahead of the White Sox, and maybe they are the team to beat in the American League still heading into 2022. And then I still am conflicted on how to rank the White Sox compared to the Yankees who whooped up on the White Sox last year in the regular season. I really like the Blue Jays team, and they have made some significant additions Mm -hmm. to their roster. They have lost a big piece in Marcus Simeon, but I think Matt Chapman's going to definitely help them, not just with the bat, but obviously he is a platinum glove contender at third base. And I think that's going to be a big boost. Seattle, a 90-win team last year, made a huge trade with the Cincinnati Reds to get Jesse Winker. I think that was a great addition for the Seattle Mariners. You mentioned the Boston Red Sox. That team was in the American League Championship Series last year. And they may be the fourth best team in the American League East right now. I just, it does make me wonder because while I believe the White Sox are going to win the American League Central by seven or more games in 2022, and it's going to feel like they're going to coast to another division title, and that's great. But if the expectation coming from the Chicago White Sox front office, in particular, Rick Hahn, is World Series or bust in 2022, They still need to make a World Series or bust move because we are seeing the other elite Major League Baseball teams like the Dodgers signing Freddie Freeman Mm -hmm. make these types of moves. And I guess I don't know if you asked me, hey, Josh, what do you think the White Sox are going to make another move? I'm almost in the position of wanting to pivot, Jim, that I don't want to think about this anymore. And I'm just going to resign to the fate that, yes, I think this is the White Sox 26 or 28-man roster if they do expand rosters on opening day. I do not expect Craig Kimbrell to be traded, and I do not expect the White Sox to sign Michael Conforto. And for our listeners right now, that's going to break their heart. That's going to be disappointing. It kind of feels somewhat like the whole Manny Machado flirtation uh, in 2019 and other past free agents as well, that this makes too much sense for it to not happen. But it hasn't happened yet for X, Y, Z reasons that we are not aware of. And because it hasn't happened yet, I'm just led to believe that it won't happen. Yeah, it's, well, you mentioned Kimbrel, And that's, you know, something, somebody I find fascinating. And the situation, I think, is really awkward because, you know, he talked to the media today and, you know, says he wants to close or feels like he can, but he'll do anything, you know, that the White Sox ask him to because the talent is the talent and he still has to prove himself the White Sox. But he expected to be traded, and I think Rick Hahn expected him to be traded, and we've never heard Rick Hahn talk about trading a guy so openly as he talked about uh, with uh, um, with Kimbrel. And to think that, you know, the not extending Carlos Rodon the qualifying offer didn't bother me because, you know, I'm of the mindset that like Rodon is fragile enough to where if the White Sox didn't feel like he was worth 18.4 million, then they couldn't take on the risk because they have to spend that money elsewhere and, and, and make the most of that money. So if they thought there was like even like a 25% chance of him doing that, I respect the choice they made if they just thought that that was a risk they didn't want to get stuck with. Um, my problem is that then, you know, if Kimbrel, they, they take on his $16 million, uh, contract when they didn't have to, and what, what the thinking of, they can move him and they can't, and they're stuck with him, then that's almost like misreading two markets. And, you know, just, you know, why'd you, you know, it just makes the Kendall Graveman acquisition weird, the Joe Kelly acquisition weird. Like it just means so much, uh, yeah, it, it casts such a 
uh, question over multiple other signings in the winter that makes me think like this is like a cascading just disaster almost. Yeah, yeah I think you know, having one extra reliever is not necessarily a disaster, so they might be overstating it, but just like one mistake that is cascaded into something bigger that might actually compromise other parts of the roster. And, you know, when you look at the White Sox roster and, and I try to approach it, you know, kind of like, you know, if, if you're talking about like watching a football game and your team uh, is playing defense and the other team punts on fourth and two, you say, phew, like, I'm glad they didn't go for it on fourth and two because I don't want to see them. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy they raised the white flag. Like, I, I kind of look at, you know, additions that way as like, if I'm the Twins or I'm the uh, Tigers and I want to put a dent in this vision, if I'm looking at the White Sox and they pass on Michael Conforto, I'd say, phew. And if they, uh, you know, if they sign Michael Conforto, I would say like, well, I guess uh, we're going to set our sights on 2023. Like, I think that would be just a kind of defeating move that said, oh, the White Sox really are taking it seriously. They're looking at like stomping on this division, like a, a, a smoldering cigarette, basically making sure it's out and can't do any damage. And that's why I think, you know, beyond just Conforto would be great. Like, I think it just sends that message that, oh, they're looking beyond the division. They're looking at uh, just this, uh, you know, diverging picture of major league baseball and the haves and have nots and the ones going for it. And the ones that are just punting until uh, a better window opens up. Uh, and, and I think that's a case where the white Sox could be one of those teams where if they sign Conforto to even one year, like I don't care about the draft pick at this point. I think this year is too important. And you watch what they've done with second round picks recently. Gavin sheets is really mm-hmm. the only uh, victory the white Sox have had among their second round picks that Sure, give it away. Sign Conforto for a year. Who cares? Like this is the year for them to to do something awesome and fun and 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 you know look every bit the fearsome lineup and deep and modular lineup. The way you look at the Blue Jays and the and uh, the Yankees and the Astros, just like oh, there's no rest. Even if it's eight, eight nine one, I don't like. <laughs> I don't feel comfortable about posting a zero if I'm the other team. That's what I think. I'm looking at this team and that's why I keep, you know, I'm tired of talking about it too, but I think it's still important to talk about and still important to emphasize just like the, the stakes and just what it means and where the White Sox are. And if Craig Kimbrell, mm-hmm. uh, a pitcher Rick Hahn didn't even want is the one compromising this and everybody has to kind of, you know, grit their teeth and make it work. That's just, uh, that, that's that's bad. It is bad. Yeah. It's just not, not, a, you know, not terrible, not something they can't overcome, but but bad and objectively so. So when it comes to Craig Kimbrell, this is my thinking now. They need to have a self-imposed deadline that if we can't move them by April 1st, then we need to move forward with Kimbrell being part of our bullpen at least through April. Like you just need to have a change in mindset. Listen, we can't make a trade work. We're one week away from opening day. Tony, you got Kimbrel. Use the remaining days of spring training camp to get your bullpen in a situation to be ready because you're going to need to lean on the bullpen at least for the first couple of weeks while the starting pitching ramps up to their normal workload. We're keeping Kimbrel because it's going to make our bullpen better. And if someone's closer blows out their arm and they need Tommy John or come July that you can maybe flip Kimbrel for someone else. I, I can't think of anyone right now to, to patch up right field or if second base is still a disaster, you can look there as a, one of the rare major leaguer for major leaguer swaps as far as rentals for the rest of the season. But I, I would give, if, if I was running the White Sox, to give ourselves two weeks. We got two weeks to figure out if we can trade Craig Kimbrel. 
Come Friday, April 1st, if we cannot trade Kimbrel, if nobody wants him for the price that we're willing to move him, then we need to keep him. You need Kimbrel in your Super Bowl pen and get through April and dominate late into games and stop having this as a distraction. It's still going to serve as a distraction. Kimbrel's still going to be asked about these questions in the next couple of weeks throughout spring training, Mm -hmm. or if Kimbrel looks terrible, or even if he looks great during spring training, is he showcasing for other teams using, or I should say borrowing Kenny Williams's quote in spring training. You're just not auditioning for the Chicago white Sox. You're also auditioning for the other 29 teams and Kimbrel's in this situation when he's pitching during spring training. But that's my thoughts on Kimbrel is you, you have two weeks to figure out if you can trade him. And if you can't, Come April 1st, just keep them and just have them pitch in high leverage situations, late innings, and try to take advantage of the super bullpen you built. Yeah, and, and for the time being, have a moratorium on any future Hall of Famer talk while uh, we're talking about a guy who, you know, whose reason for struggling is uh, not throwing his preferred inning. <laughs> like that's, yeah. That's a case, yeah. Well, first of all, I don't think anybody should be in the Hall of Fame with fewer than a thousand innings, and he's only thrown six hundred and twenty-eight. But beyond that, it just, uh, it's, uh, yeah, just that drives me nuts when I see an article saying he's on a Hall of Fame track, and just like, oh, but the eighth inning is just not what he wants, and that's why he crumbles. Like, if you're a Hall of Famer, like, yeah, just uh, I, that drives me nuts. So that's me uh, getting that rant in, and 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 he can say the right things, and you'll hear this a lot from beat reporters. Kimbrell's saying the right things. He. He's willing to help out. It's one thing telling the media in a stage press conference and knowing what to say because you've been a longtime veteran Mm -hmm. and the conversations that are actually happening behind closed doors. Because when Tony LaRussa is saying that Kimbrell would love to be here, but he would also love to close, but LaRussa still wants Hendricks to close. Well, I don't need a map, right? You have drawn up this scenario for me of what is happening And we have known this since November, the risk of picking up Craig Kimbrell's option. Here we are, middle of March. Rick Hahn still can't find someone to take on Craig Kimbrell. I don't even know if the White Sox internally can agree upon eating any of Kimbrell's contract in any type of swap. I can't can't imagine what they could possibly get in return that helps the White Sox this season swapping out Craig Kimball to whomever, but you also have to be careful because as you mentioned, Jim, everyone's concern is pitching. Mm -hmm. If trading Craig Kimball to the Tampa Bay Rays, for example, makes them better. Well, that will hurt you (laughs) later in the season. It could hurt you in the postseason If Kimball bounces back to his first half, 2021 version of himself with the Chicago Cubs, now you've hurt yourself. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm saying you got two weeks. If you can't trade Craig Kimbrell by April 1st, keep him and go with your Super Bowl pen and deal. And Tony Larusa, who's getting paid the big bucks and he was brought in to help win a championship for the Chicago White Sox with all of his experience, can figure out how to balance all the personalities and attitudes and roles in that bullpen. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I feel. I have nothing more to say. Oh, but. But we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, the rumors are getting crazy. Like Carlos Correa could go back to Houston or the Baltimore Orioles are going to make an offer to Correa. And while you think that's insane, mm-hmm. Chris Bryant signed with the Colorado Rockies is kind of insane. And that happened. And if Conforto doesn't sign with the White Sox, the Mets are not bringing him back. 
So I have no idea where Michael Conforto is going to go. And Nicholas Castellanos is rumored to be weighing offers from the Philadelphia Phillies. Makes sense. They need more bats. And now they got the DH they could take advantage of. Or the Miami Marlins. Well, the Marlins signed uh, Avi so for four years. So they've already made their half move. Well, they think it sounds like in Miami, Avi might play center field, which I'm going to have to watch some Miami Marlins games if if that happens. I need to see Avi in uh, in center field for the Marlins. It, that's the other side of this conversation as well, Jim. And I was on CHGO's White Sox show with Herb Lawrence and Sean Anderson, and we had this conversation, and I brought up this talking point. I'd like to get your thoughts on it, and this would be a good place to wrap up as far as this episode. Why do you think Michael Conforto hasn't signed yet? Not so much why haven't the White Sox signed Michael Conforto, why Michael Conforto hasn't signed with anyone yet? Uh, right now, I think we're seeing a little bit of a rift or like when it comes to the just the free agent market, the difference between players, the qualifying offers attached and players without one. And given that he's a Boris client, um, we've seen Boris clients go <laughs> months into the season before signing. Or we've seen like, you know, occasionally as good as he is. Sometimes players with the qualifying offer attached to aren't coming off great situations or might be coming at a, a, from a position glut, just struggle. Like Mike Moustakis was really like one of, I could think of the cautionary tales of just Boris's hard bargain driving and, and the deal he had to settle for until he could reenter the market without the pick attached. So I think sometimes when there is compensation attached and Conforto's coming off just kind of a pedestrian season, um, where he had some, some of his underlying skills were still there, like still the ability to get on base, still the ability to hit the ball to the park, but just, you know, played fewer games than you want, only hit 14 homers, like just wasn't a great season. I think that's the the situation where Boris could just be still trying to get a met offer that saves face, that tries to get more than the, you know, the, the more than the qualifying offer or more than uh, just, uh, yeah, two years or two years in the club option or an opt out, uh, versus one. Like, I think he, you know, he tries to save face with some guys when they're losing and maybe drives a harder bargain than that player is capable of driving. So that's why I think that the White Sox are still in play because we've seen these guys fall through the cracks and sign for comparatively little, just because they happen to be the odd man out of that winter. And just the conversations that he had with teams, uh, just did not, uh, come around to, team terms fast enough and we're ultimately uh you know losing that game of musical chairs and there are some some i guess likenesses to the mustaka situation other situations where just uh the market wasn't there and he drove too hard for that player Hmm. good points good points well i mean say you zuki signed with the cubs for what five years 85 million kyle schwarber just signed with the philadelphia phillies for four years around 80 million ultimately that's what any team may be comfortable signing Conforto, even though Boris can make whatever case that he wants, that Conforto should get more money than Suzuki mm-hmm. and Schwarber. But if at some point it's got to come to a head, right? And maybe some impatience from his client side. But then again, we're talking about Scott Boris and he crushes these deals every single time. And that's why he's the best agent in major league baseball. And he gets all the players paid uh, they wait. They wait until they get what they're asking for. And when they get it, then they sign. And if they don't get it, then they wait. <laughs> yeah, and it could also be just like he's waiting for an injury. 
Hmm. That could also be a situation where I think it was, it was a Prince Fielder. I'm trying to think. Yeah, I think it was a Prince Fielder signing uh, where Victor Martinez got hurt. Yes. And they pounced. Or no, was it Victor Martinez? Yeah, I'm trying to think which order it was. Yeah, and and yeah, and that was a case where you're like, oh, there's your job. Yep. They're going <laughs> so to Detroit. The case where, yeah. So that that could be the situation he's trying to line up is just like he's got a he's got a dollar figure he's waiting for and uh, right now it's not there but one one false step and all of a sudden he could be in demand and we haven't even talked about Oakland's situation with their starting pitchers as we as we still wait to see what the fate is with Sean Manaya and Frankie Montas you got the Twins you got the Royals and. I think I read somewhere that even the Tigers have inquired about Frankie Montas. So you got some competition on that front as well. There's still some moves to be made. If the Whites... Twins and Trevor Story. Yeah, the Twins and Trevor Story as well. Other teams are improving. The White Sox, again, I want to make this very clear. I believe, as is, they're going to win the American League Central by seven plus games. That's how much I like this roster. But we're having this conversation comparing them to the elite teams in Major League Baseball because if you truly believe in 2022, it's World Series or bust, you are seeing the other elite teams make some significant moves post-lockout. And all we have seen the White Sox do post-lockout is sign Joe Kelly, who will not be available on opening day because of injury, Josh Harrison, and Vince Velasquez. That's that's not World Series or bust. Yeah, the moves don't have a, you know, it's it just when you're signing multiple infielders, multiple utility infielders, and multiple mid to high leverage guys. I mean, I would see like you know mid leverage guys. I think you know basically Kelly. You're not expecting him to close. Graven, you're not expecting him to close. So I'd call them more mid leverage. Like if you're just signing multiples of those players, it feels like either you're supremely comfortable with the talent on hand, or just you're pursuing the value you're feeling. Yeah you feel comfortable assigning, but everything else makes you nervous. Yeah. It's quantity over quality. Yeah. Or you just have your wheelhouse. You have your like, I understand what this is worth. I'm going to keep getting this, (laughs) you know, like you look at, you look around your house and say like, Oh yeah, I know a TV bargain when I see one. Now all of a sudden my house has uh, 13 TVs. I know nothing about cars. I can't get anywhere because I'm uncomfortable buying a car. <laughs> That's kind of how it feels like they you know, just uh you're, you're buying like items because you know I kind of feel like that way in a record store when I see like a record I already have and say like oh that's such a good price I want to get it just so I can have the satisfaction of buying it and I realize like oh I'd go home and I'd have one copy I don't play hmm. <laughs> like that's kind of how I I think uh, Han is kind of approaching this uh you know rather than looking for new music. <laughs> Or branching out into uh, just uh, you know upgrading his system, he just keeps buying the same records over and over again because like uh, I I I know value when I see it. Well, for our future episodes, the next three episodes, we're going to be starting our season preview. So we'll we'll still be waiting to see what the White Sox are going to do as far as their final roster construction. But here at Sox Machine. For the podcast, we're going to be moving forward. and We're going to be doing our 2022 season previews, looking at the projections, trying to come up with what we think is going to be the 28-man roster, how the infield is going to look, the outfield, the starting pitching, and the bullpen as we continue our coverage leading up to opening day 2022 on Friday, April 8th, as the Chicago White Sox will be traveling to Detroit to face the Tigers. But that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. 
And I also make note of the White Sox do make a significant move. Uh, there's always a Twitter spaces that I host, but Jim and I will also do emergency podcasts as well uh, that you could look forward to. I'm going to be on vacation, however, from the 24th through the 30th. So I'm pretty certain there's going to be a significant move the White Sox make as I am away. But Jim will have you covered on SoxMachine.com. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter at SoxMachine. But thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the Sox Machine podcast. If you just discovered Sox Machine or you've been a longtime lurker of Sox Machine, you can help support us at patreon.com slash Sox Machine, where our Patreon supporters, they get more. They get exclusive content. They get ad-free versions of the podcast and website. And they get the first opportunity to purchase our Sox Machine swag. And speaking of swag, uh, I'm wearing my uh, my shirt, the Bappin shirt. And uh, I already got a couple comments on it, good comments about it. So I, I appreciate it. But how are we doing on the shirt front, Jim? We have a couple medium and a couple larges. All right. So we got and that's four all that's left. left. And I do have another shipment of the spring training caps, the North Face caps uh, coming. Uh, I just got notification that it's in line for production. So it should be here within a couple of weeks. Uh, yeah, probably have about 10 or so that'll be going on the store. So as always, Patreon supporters will be getting the first notice of when they're back in stock. And another announcement to make for our Patreon supporters. I run with the help now of a couple of our Patreon supporters. Thank you guys so much. A 30-team fantasy baseball league that is only for Sox Machine Patreon supporters. We have one spot open as you are listening to this. It may not be open by the time you listen to this. But still, you can acquire if you are a Sox Machine Patreon supporter. So some additional incentive. <laughs> and a glutton for punishment. And a glutton for punishment. It is not an easy league by any stretch of the imagination. But again, you can sign up at patreon.com slash Machine, where monthly plans start at $2 a month and you save 9% off annual plans. You can subscribe to the Sox Machine podcast wherever you listen to podcasts like Apple Music and Spotify and Amazon Music as well. And the Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your own for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.